train up a child. There's something about this picture that I find terrifying. It's, it's delightful, it's cute, but it's also scary, this idea of these kids heading off into the world. And hopefully they're not going to do that when they're three years old. But to me, Anna is still kind of three years old. I mean, I, the, the sense that I have is whenever she's, whatever age is going to be, I'm going to be sending her out. So how can I train her up? Think about riding a bike. We have this saying people say about snowboarding or about learning a language or whatever. You know, it's, it's just like riding a bike. What does that mean when people say that? How in any way is learning a language like riding a bike? What people mean is whenever you get it, it tends to stick with you. These, these things, these ways of staying balanced become ingrained, and you don't easily forget it. You might get rusty. One time when Adrian and I were dating, she can, you can decide if this is going to get me in trouble or not to share this story with you. I don't think it will. But she, she called me up, and we were talking on the phone right after she had been riding a bike in normal light and ran it right into a trash can and crashed. So we still fall after we've learned to ride a bike. I've had my own failures and difficulties, but there are things that have been instilled in me that I don't easily forget. And there's kind of come a time when we take off the training wheels from our kids' bikes. A time when we Go around, now we're just holding the back of the bike, and you're holding that seat, and you're running through the neighborhood, and then eventually, you let go. And they're off, faster than you can run. And they might fall, or they might succeed. They might go two miles in that direction. <laughs> you just shot them up. But we hope that we've sent them out well. Whenever we start to start to let go that they have direction and momentum in where we want them to go. There's this, this verse that this, passage, that this theme is built on. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. In, in other words, it tends to stick with you once you get it. There are many times I've gone away from the training I've received. And yet, in a way, it's not that hard for me to show up at services. I don't, I don't think, hmm, am I going to go Sunday or not? It's not that hard for me to, to choose to be kind. It's not always easy, but it's ingrained in me to be kind instead of being mean. It's ingrained in me to choose certain kinds of things. When I'm in trouble, I pray. When something good happens, I give thanks. That, I, there's lots of areas I need to grow, but certain things have been dug into me, have been taught to me. And we want to, to ingrain those things in our children. 
a few notes as we start. Proverbs 22, verse 6, this is a principle. This is not a promise of God. Like a lot of Proverbs, Proverbs 16, 17 says that if a person is walking in a way that's pleasing to God, then they're going to have peace with people, with their enemies. Now, did Jesus walk in a way that was pleasing to God? Did Paul walk in a way that was pleasing to God? And yet they didn't have peace with all of their enemies. And yet there's a principle here that doesn't invalidate the concept that there is a way to walk that creates maximum peace. And in the same way, it's just common sense. This is an observable fact that people have a better chance of staying on a certain path if it's been instilled in them. We do want to beware of measuring parents by a kid's choices. If that's how we measure everything, that's a complete circle of measurement, then we would have to call, according to Isaiah chapter 1, verse 2, God a failure. He said, children I have raised up, but they haven't listened to me. They've departed from my way. God didn't fail. His parenting was perfect. Ultimately, at some point, every kid chooses for themselves. And I'll just note this idea of God as a parent. If you're wondering how you plug into this conversation, if you're not a parent or a grandparent or a kid or, you know, an uncle or aunt that's kind of trying to influence kids. Well, for one thing, you, if you're here, are likely already an influence on my kids, on kids that are here. I appreciate the investment of Michael coming up here, who's not a parent, and connecting with our kids. But secondly, this idea of Isaiah 1 and verse 2, this idea of Hebrews 12 and, and Matthew 5, where we see God as our Father. Remember that God is parenting you in the way that he wants you to go. And all the, all the time we talk about parenting, remember that and apply that in that way to your life. And even with these caveats, what a helpful principle this is. What does the future hold for the youth in this room? Where is Emma going to be and Carly and Ephraim and Esther 30 years from now? God will spread his kingdom and bless the world, salt and light, through some of the people who are here. I firmly believe that. There are big, wonderful things ahead. Good things in the kingdom of God. And in this world, because of the hope that they will bring to it. And Satan will attack them all. And the world will push them to conform to an image that you and I both know is not what is going to bless their lives now or in eternity. And they'll succeed and they'll fail. And many of them will revert to their training. That's a phrase from a, a quote that Navy SEALs talk about. This is from an anonymous Navy SEAL that famously said, Under pressure, you don't rise to the occasion. You sink to the level of your training. And he said, that's why we train so hard. You revert to your training when things are difficult. 
What's ingrained? What's natural in that way? And so the big idea here is we can't save our kids. Philippians 2 verse 12 says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. They're going to work that out between them and God. And we can't protect them from every danger. But we can give them momentum in the right direction. And in that way, you could say, you did save your kids. In that you brought them the gospel and the training and the prayer and the love that changed them. So what does train mean in Proverbs 22, verse 6? I remember back when I, I lived in Ohio. It's not great skiing in Ohio, I have to admit. But uh, we found a slope. I was 16, 17 years old. I discovered skiing when I was back west. And, and I was like, we got to do this. And I got my buddies. Never, none of them had ever skied. And I took them and we went for my birthday to go skiing. And one of my friends, not the most coordinated guy in the world, big guy, uh, was right next to me. And we were at the top of a, a hill that honestly was way too steep for him as a beginner to be on. And I said, okay, you ready? Let's just do it. Let's just go. One, two, three, go. And we went. And I didn't see him. So I turned around. And there I see him barreling towards me. And he yelled, I can't turn and plowed right into me and we went tumbling down the hill. Momentum is a powerful thing. And we tend to go in the way we've been going. Newton has a law about that, right? So momentum is a part of what we want to create with our kids. The big mo. Give them that big push in that good Godward direction. And it is amazing how profound the influence of a parent can be in creating positive momentum that lasts through an entire life. Let's go back to this text. And we're going to spend pretty much the whole lesson in this text this word train, it's an interesting word. It's not a word that's often used for train. It's not used a lot in the whole Bible. This word chanuk. And you can hear in it the word Hanukkah. Hanukkah, which is a feast of dedication, the rededication of the temple after some things happened with the Maccabees, Antiochus Epiphanes. The temple was defiled and it was rededicated. And there were some, some things that happened around that. And so Jews to this day celebrate the dedication, the Hanukkah. And this word for train is the word for dedicating, Hanuk. It's the word that's used in Deuteronomy 20 and verse 5 and 1 Kings 8 and verse 63 in a parallel passage in Chronicles for dedicating a house or a temple. It's initiating it. It's setting it in the right path. It's saying, if with those, the house and the temple, it was saying, not only am I inaugurating the use of it, 
you know, sometimes secular things. They'll have a, a big celebration. They'll put a cornerstone in. They'll cut a, have scissors to cut a giant ribbon. Maybe they break a, a bottle of something on it. It's not just inaugurating or initiating or starting its use, but in Israel, it was also dedicating its use to the Lord. And so Bruce Waltke says, this means to start the youth off with a strong and perhaps even religious commitment to a certain course of action, to train. And when we train them, when we set them out, when we start them off with this really big push, even when he's old, he won't depart from it. And that is a powerful idea that kids will tend to keep going in the same way. So thinking about bumper bowling. Why do we put bumpers on the sides of the lanes when we take our kids bowling? Well, they're, they're not ready to, to get it right. They, their ball would go into the gutter every single time. They're, most of them are doing the, the whole two-hand bid, granny-style shot, right? And you send it out. And hopefully it gets to the pins. But if it gets to the pins, it's probably bounced like this all the way, like a pinball, on the bumpers. Now, if me and a group of us guys went and said, we're going to have a bowling outing, we probably wouldn't ask for bumpers. <laughs> we might look a little silly. Hey, uh... Can you get this set up with bumpers? We've got eight guys that want to have a bowling league over here, a bumper bowling league. Got my name on my shirt here. <laughs> Who are the bumper bowling league? Why don't we? Well, because at a certain point, you're expected to handle that on your own, to miss the gutters, to stay on the right path on your own. I think sometimes we misinterpret discipline and miss how we are protecting our kids through discipline. How we are putting with our boundaries, with our rules, with our correction, we are aiming to protect them, not just to protect them now, but to protect them in the time when we're not standing next to them. Why do you get so upset when your kid runs, starts to run out into the street? Because you're afraid for their lives and you want to protect them. But even more scary is the idea, what if they did that when I wasn't right here? And so you correct them firmly to save their life, which is what the Proverbs say over and over again. This is how you save a life of your child is by correcting them. Is by training them. And discipline is not about punishment. Discipline is about developing them and training them in the right way. So, of course, there are consequences and there are corrections. But the point isn't retribution. It's to just make sure they know this is the way. So that when there aren't bumpers there and out there, things are much more dangerous when you get in the gutter than falling with a bowling ball into the side. We have guardrails on the cliff sides of the road to protect us from the greater dangers. And we need to do that spiritually as well. 
So what is the way in Proverbs 22 and verse 6? What does this have to do with correction? It's interesting. I'm going to dive into this text a little bit more than, than normal. I discovered something whenever I was studying this, that there is some debate among Hebrew scholars about how to translate this verse because the word should is not in the Hebrew. And so the, the translators, not inappropriate for them to put it there. They're trying to help you understand what they think it means. And there's different translators and translations that deal with it differently. But what I want to show you is that either way that you look at it, the point is the same. So I just want to show you this other way because I think it's an interesting and helpful point, and I, and I want to be faithful to the, the interpretive options in the, in the text here. So literally, if you look up Young's literal translation or some other literal translation, you'll see it says, train up a child in his way. Train up a child in his way, which could mean train up a child in his way, the, the way that you know that he should go, but in a way that suits that child. Every child is different. You're going to have to train them, not in a different standard, but in a way that's appropriate for the child. A 15-year-old needs different training than a 4-year-old needs. A girl needs different training than a boy needs. Everybody is different. And, and it's possible that that's what this means. But let me just give you another possibility. The whole verse could be a warning. And, and some Hebrew scholars believe that this is what's happening here. This is not a universal opinion. This is a, it's fairly split. And most English translations have it the way we have it. But if you start them off getting their own way, they'll always think that way. You see, it's really the same point. However you start them off, that's the way they're going to go. A few verses after this, we're at 22 verse 6. 22 verse 15 says, folly is bound up in the heart of a child. You don't have to teach it to them. They just like get it through osmosis. They just, they just have it all over them. Just folly is everywhere, tied to their heart. Think about Judges 21-25 and going in your way. In Judges, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And there was no king in the land. There was no authority directing them in the best way. Sounds very familiar, I think, to the world today. Everybody said, well, that's not what's right to me. That's not my truth. But God says we need to train them up in his way. Ephesians 6-4 says, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So whichever way you, as you handle those uh, original language resources, whichever way you end up, the point is the same. We need to put boundaries, give them correction, because our job isn't giving them their way. It's narrowing their way. It's not expanding their possibilities. Of course, we want them to have a great life, and we want them to have lots of options, but some options we don't want them to have. Always, my wife always tells a story about her mom. Whenever she would ask her mom, can I be anything? I can be anything I want when I grow up. And her mom would say, no, you can't. 
There's a lot of things you can't be when you grow up. And that's our job is to train them that there are limits. There are limits for your safety. Not just now, but forever. Into eternity. And finally, think about direction. How do we apply Proverbs 22, verse 6? And this is really a question in a lot of ways we'll be answering throughout this year. We're not going to spend a long time on this right now. I was thinking about what my father-in-law would do for me and Adrian whenever we would go on any trip. This is maybe in the early days of Google Maps, maybe before some of this, but there was a thing called MapQuest once, and that was a thing we used. But he would get out, he had hundreds, I think, of these paper fold-up maps, the ones that you can't fold back when you get them open. It's like, oh, this, all right, let's just call that done. That's good. And he would take these out, and he would say, okay, we're going to the cabin. Here's the route. And he would take his yellow highlighter, and he would highlight the exact route you're supposed to take. And he would say, now, don't take this route. There's going to be fog, and don't take over here. Traffic's going to be bad. He was sharing his experience to our benefit. But at some point, we stopped getting maps. We started figuring things out on our own. We still usually went the same way to the cabin. But even, even when he hands me the map, I can still choose to go whatever way I want. But he has shown me the best way the best way that he knows. So how do we make our lives a living map? We highlight the route over and over. Repetition and reinforcement are key here. And finding those teaching moments where you can indelibly imprint a lesson. And we use our life and our example and we use our teaching and we invest in our relationship with them. So we do know their way. We know who they are, not their way, their obstinate, selfish way, but we know who they are so we can train them up in God's way in a way that fits who they are. Give a word fitly spoken. Give grace to those who hear by saying something that is fit for the occasion, as Ephesians tells us to do. I want to close with an invitation. I think this is interesting how this connects to the lesson. Acts 2.38, many of us here could quote this verse. It's important because, for one thing, Peter has just explained the gospel to all of these people, that Jesus has died and been risen from the dead. And they ask him, what does that mean for me? Me and Jeff Jones often talk when we're talking about teaching a class about don't forget the so what part of the lesson. This is true. So what? What does that have to do with me? And the people were asking, what do I do? And he, Peter said to them, repent, change your thinking, turn, turn from your way to God's way and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, God with you and you forgiven. The next verse as the promise isn't just for you. It's for you and for your children. And for everybody that's far off. For everybody who the Lord calls to himself. 
It's interesting, pulling from Joel too, he talks about everyone who the Lord calls and he talks about everyone who calls on the Lord. It's the Lord calling us and us responding by calling on him. But then listen to this next verse. So he said to everyone, save yourselves from this crooked and perverse generation. The promise is for me, the promise is for Anna, the promise is for Evie, the promise is for all of your kids, the promise is for your grandkids. But every one of us have to, right now, make sure that we're doing what we need to do to follow Peter's directive, save yourself from this crooked and perverse generation. Call on the Lord in baptism. Turn to him in faith. Trust him and walk with him through your life. 